At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Today, I want to talk about the hellscape that is technical diagramming, right? Everybody's nodding their heads right now, uh uh-huh. And there is a potential solution that I want to share. There was one name that several people brought up. I did some digging, and it's kind of nuts how much this program Miro has for developers. I have to share this. It could potentially be a game changer for you. So my favorite part about Miro is that half the work is already done. Like right now, typically we spend hours starting diagrams from scratch, right? Gathering information, you get buy-in from every team. Uh, You know, following up, that's a lot of work to do. But Miro has a full set of integrations with the tools you're probably already using. And they also offer open APIs and SDKs for custom solutions for all those niche diagramming use cases we have to do, right? So the end result is the same, but it doesn't take forever. It's a massive, massive time saver. I'm transforming basic flowcharts and network architectures, and it all lives in one place. So are you using Miro? Have you used it? I want to hear. If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths. And where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used. Because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.mx slash you know. For the last defender. You are listening to the Freshwater Bite Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Freshwater Bite Podcast. Um, I want to thank you guys all for subscribing. And for those of you who have given me a five-star rating on iTunes, thank you, thank you, thank you. That means the world to me. And uh, I hope you guys continue to um, enjoy the content that I uh, put out for you. My guest today is Nick Day from the Michigan Muskie Alliance. And Nick stops by today to tell us uh, not only about their conservation efforts that the group is doing, but also some new regulations and rules uh, that the DNR came out with this year that you might not be aware of in the state of Michigan. And also, you know, I just want to say that uh, I really appreciate groups like this, even though I do not musky fish at the moment. Um, It's definitely something I want to get into, but I'm super grateful for groups like this who are out there trying to conserve and, uh, you know, grow awareness of our musky issues and musky conservation efforts here in the state of Michigan so that the future generations can enjoy them. And um, I'm really happy Nick stopped by. Lee. Nick. Hey. We're on, man. We're on. We're live. Good. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to come to the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for thanks for allowing us to do this. Yeah, no problem. So why don't you um, introduce yourself uh, to everybody first off, um, you know, who you are, uh, kind of, uh, who you represent um, today? We're talking about muskies, muskie fishing specifically in uh, the northwest region of the lower 
lower part of Michigan, but uh, go ahead and get everyone a background of uh, who you are and uh, what you're all about. So, yeah, my name's uh, Nick Day. Um, I'm the president of the Michigan Muskie Alliance. Uh, we started in 2001. Um, we've worked very close with the Michigan Deep Department of Natural Resources, and through our relationship with them, we have made significant strides towards improving, expanding, and protecting Michigan's limited muskie fishing opportunities. And we're, we're a statewide, I mean, you could call it a club, but uh, I, I, would, I would put it more as like a conservation organization. Um, we, have, we have a lot of projects that we do throughout the state, and our, our whole focus is on just trying to make people aware of muskies and you know, kind of educate them on, you know, proper handling, any, anything musky related. That's, that's what we're all about. So, so how did you get into fishing? I mean, did you start off fishing for these, these fish growing up or is it something like, uh, you know, the musky bug that you caught, you know, the more you, the more you fish for them? Yeah. Um, you know, I started fishing, I, you know, when I was still in diapers probably. And, uh, I've, I've always loved fishing. Um, it's something I've done forever and I do it a lot. And I, I just caught the musky bug, you know, I, I grew up in the kind of uh, Torch Lake area right on the Rapid River. So I was always seeing these muskies, you know, out in the lakes and stuff and in the rivers. And I, I was always intrigued, but I never, never really got into it. And then uh, probably, I think 2012 or 2013, I, I just decided that I wanted to take the jump into it and it's it's a challenge you know it's that's that's why i like it so much it's so challenging and it's not like any other fishing that i've ever done so when did you catch your first muskie um you know i think 2012 yeah probably 2012 okay so i have i haven't been doing it very long but um once i got into the michigan muskie alliance um everything changed you know the the guys in the club they're 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 awesome i can't tell you enough good things about the guys that you know kind of took me under their wing and showed me the ropes so to speak because up here in this area there's nobody that musky fishes you know so i was i was starting from scratch and i really wasn't getting anywhere and as soon as i got into mma it's it's like a flip of a switch you know i got people that i could talk to and ask questions and stuff like that that's it's really helped me become a better angler. Yeah. I've, I mean, personally, I've never, ever caught a muskie in my life. And, you know, I, I haven't gone out specifically to try to, you know, fish for them and catch them. But I can tell you that the, the folks that I do talk to, um, they just describe to me how difficult it is. And, but when you do catch one, like you said, you're, you kind of got the bug after that. And, um, you know, I grew up downstate in, uh, the lower part of Michigan and, you know, obviously Lake, Lake St. Clair is probably a pretty big musky spot, especially for this part of the state or for Michigan. But, you know, I never knew that there were musky up in this region, um, in the chain of lakes that you're talking about. Uh, but how did this club get started to begin with, especially in an area like this? Um, and if you can describe a little bit about how healthy the muskie population is in this area. Okay. So, uh, MMA was started back in 2001 and it was really, you know, I haven't been around that long, but those guys 
had to be advocates. You know, there, there wasn't anybody really talking about muskie fishing outside of Lake St. Clair. You know, everybody knows that, you know, go to Lake St. Clair, catch muskies, but there's, there's a hundred other lakes throughout Michigan that have them. And there wasn't really a voice, you know, for people to, people to know that, you know, there's, there's opportunity outside of that. So these guys got together and they formed this group and then, you know, they just started going to meetings and just doing whatever they could to get, you know, some awareness out there of what, what's out there besides Lake St. Clair. And, and I got to tell you, there's some pretty incredible lakes throughout the state that have muskies in them. Um, this area, you know, it's, we have muskies. We do. Uh, the opportunity is very limited. Uh, this is a high harvest oriented area up here in northern, the northern northwest part of the state. And uh, it's, the opportunities there, the opportunity that it is there, you could catch, you know, a world record. They just caught a 58 pound world record. Uh, what is that? 2013, I believe. 58 you pounds? Know? Yeah, 58 pounds, oh 59 God. inches long. Yep, right out of Lake Bel Air. That's a and monster. The guy wasn't even targeting it. He was he was bass fishing. So, <laughs> um, so what do you mean? This is a high harvest area. Can you describe to some of the listeners who might not know what that means? Yeah, so it's it, this is a harvest oriented area. You know, people catch a fish, they want to keep it, take it home. You know, do whatever they want with it, mount it, or whatever. And, um, muskies being an apex predator there's there's already low numbers of them so when you have a high harvest area like you do up here in the you know the traverse city area and beyond it's uh every time one of those fish gets taken out there's not really one to replace it you know they're they're not very prolific uh their spawning grounds have diminished diminished over the years and you know they just they don't have enough population to really grow. I mean, they're sustaining right now with with last year's and prior year's regulations, but, you know, we're starting to see some improvements, you know, I think with the last, last regulation change, which was a harvest tag, which reduced the fish capture that you could harvest per year down to one. And I'm sure that's made a difference, but, um, yeah, there's there's more regulations that have changed in the last year that I really am proud of. You know, MMA was a very large part of it, and I think it's going to do great things for the area. Yeah, and can you describe what you mean by the spawning grounds are you know disappearing? Like what what's yeah. impa- what's what's impacting those, or what's the greatest impact that's that seems to be you know impacting? Yeah, those? lake lakeshore development. You know. Every year, you know, somebody puts another house up and you know, you lose that small, you know, 100 foot of frontage there. Well, that could be a spot that muskies use to spawn. Gotcha. And after that's developed, you know, they're, they're not going to use those areas. So it's it's all compounding, you know, over the years, the high harvest, the loss of habitat, stuff like that. Do they need like flowing water to spawn kind of like walleye do, or do they spawn in the rivers or anything like that? Or they kind of just go spawn out, like you said, on the, in the big lakes along the lake shores. Yeah. It's, you know, each, each lake's different, I would say, cause, cause some in the area, they'll use the river. Some will use shoreline, you know, they don't, there's not one thing that they all use, you know, they they all have their own 
little niche in each lake. Gotcha. And then you said, um, so muskie season's open right now in Michigan, correct? Correct. So the catch and release season is open as of April 1st of this year. Okay. April 1st, it opens up. Do guys ice fish for these through the ice or is it closed during that period? Um, you know, I don't really know anybody that does. Uh, I know spearing is a big thing up in this area. So there is, there is a lot of muscular spearing. Okay. Um, but other than that, you know, tip ups and stuff like that, you don't really hear about it. Okay. So it's catch and release season. Let's talk mm-hmm. about, um, when I stopped by the booth, first off, uh, I had stopped by the Traverse city hunting and fishing expo and that's where I got turned on to you guys with your, your yep. booth display. And, you know, I just, I could have sat there and talked to, you know, a very long time, which is why I wanted to reach out to you guys and get you on the show. But, um, so you mentioned that it's catch and release season right now. Let's talk about catching and releasing muskie because like that 58 pound fish that you just described, the guy was bass fishing. Yep. Now I'm not saying that that guy didn't, I'm sure he kept the fish. I'm assuming did he catch the, or keep it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can't blame him. You know, that's right. That's fish a, of a lifetime. Yeah, exactly. But let's say that he caught, um, you know, another size fish that he was just going to release. Let's talk about proper handling and releasing these fish. Yeah. So there's, there's a ton of importance that needs to be made. If you do catch one of these, um, they're, they're not super fragile, but they are, they can be, you know, if you don't properly handle them, there can be issues. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to vertically hold them. Uh, they're not really designed to be held in a vertical position. So you want to keep the fish horizontal at all times. And if, if you can, while you're de hooking the fish, try and keep it in the water. Um, we use extremely large nets that hang over the side of the boat and the fish is actually in the net the whole time. So you can actually work on the fish, dig the hooks out, do whatever you got to do. And then, uh, the fish stays in the water. So it's breathing the whole time. And then, uh, the only time we take it out of the water is to take the photo. Actually, um, you know, if, if it's large enough, a lot of guys will take a measurement. We have a specialized, you know, it's, it's called a bump board. We pull the fish out of the water, put it on that. And, uh, you wet that surface of the bump board. So it doesn't take any of the protective slime coat off the fish. Okay. And you know, it's, it's small stuff like that, that you just want to be aware of so that you can have, you know, the most successful release possible for that muskie to survive. Okay. So after you hold it up, you take a photo with it. Um, we're keeping it horizontal the whole time. Do you guys put it back in the net, let it hang out there for a little bit to make sure it kind of gets its legs and then take off? Or do you kind of just put it right back in the water, hang on to it and let it catch it, catch its bearings? Yeah. Yeah. Usually you can just, uh, put it back in the water. You know, you grab it by the tail. You don't really have to work fish back and forth or anything. Um, you just, you just give it time, you know, and it'll tell you when it's ready to go. You know, sometimes they blast off, but sometimes it takes a few minutes and it's, uh, it's a sight to behold, you know, it's, it's really special to let, let, let a fish go. So somebody else can catch it. And especially when you catch a big fish, you know? Yeah. And I think that's catching on more and more. Um, especially compared if you look back to, um, you know, a decade or even further back ago, uh, you know, like you said, a lot of people used to keep, but it seems like catch and release is becoming more and more popular, which is great for all of our fisheries. And, uh, you know, that's something that we want to keep practicing. Um, I, I do see some guys and I don't know, this is just me being naive. Does, 
handling them with gloves hurt them in any way? Because I see a lot of guys uh, holding photos, some with gloves, some without. But I was always curious if the gloves impact them in a negative manner. Yeah, so the gloves, um, you know, I, I will actually use a glove on small fish. And there's there's no reason not to. Um, they, they won't hurt the fish. They don't they don't do anything. All that glove's there to do is to protect you. Gotcha. And uh, it's usually the small fish that will give you issues. You know, they get a little wild in the net or when you're unhooking them. So, yeah, the, those smaller ones I usually will throw a glove on. I haven't had any issues with any big fish. So. Okay. And let's compare the two fisheries. The one up in this area up here, like you said, a lot of inland lakes have great musky fishing um, compared mm-hmm. to Lake St. Clair. What's an average size fish up here versus down by Lake St. Clair? Um, you know, I would say the average fish is probably close to the same. Uh, Lake St. Clair, you're going to catch a lot of, you know, 38 to 42 inch fish. There's there's a ton of them. We call them drones. Um, oh. up, up here, you have the same opportunity. Uh, the fish, fish in Lake St. Clair probably grow to, you know, 56, uh, maybe 57, somewhere in there. Uh, up here, we we know they grow to 59 inches at least. So uh, they're they're larger lengthwise, but I would say weight wise, they're you know they're pretty heavy up here. The competition for forage, so they 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 pack on the pound significantly greater than what they do down on Lake St. Clair. Okay, and then we're coming up on um, the harvest season, right? Which is when you can keep them starting when in Michigan. Yeah, that'll be the first Saturday in June, and that'll be repetitive every year. So every year it'll open up on the first Saturday in June and close on March 15th. And close, okay. There, There's there's a couple other lakes out there that have their own special regulations, including Lake St. Clair. Um, same opener date, but it closes, I believe, December 31st. So there's no winter harvest season. Okay. And then the other thing that we were talking about when I was at the show, um, which you guys were kind of like really, you know, making everybody aware of is that there's new regulations in the state of Michigan this year. And it's, is it specifically only to this region? Um, you know, it's not. So there's actually quite a few this year. Um, it's something that MMA was kind of very passionate about and made a ton of these meetings throughout the state to, you know, kind of push this agenda for higher size limits. And, um, yeah, I think it's important. Actually- I think it's super important that these, I, I mean, I don't know if a lot of guys know that there has been a change in regulations, which is, you know, a huge reason why I wanted to get you on the podcast to make hopefully more folks aware of this. So let's go through those regulations and, you know, what changed. Okay. So, so first off we could, we could go right into the musk lunch harvest tag. So that's, that's been eliminated. It's, it's been around since 2012, I believe. And uh, that that's what you needed to harvest a fish. That is no longer applicable. They stopped doing doing the tags. It was it cost them too much money, and they didn't get anything in return from them. They were hoping that they were going to get some kind of, uh, you know, registration of fish or something out of it, and they didn't. So it was too much of a cost, so they, they eliminated that program. Um, so they're going to a mandatory harvest registration, and that's going to be something that if you do harvest a fish, you have a 24-hour period to call or go to a check-in or 
uh, online check-in and uh, register your fish with the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. So that that's that's huge. You know, that's that'll give them the data that they need throughout the state on each individual body of water. That way, they know. Uh, uh, you know how much angler effort is being put into these lakes and how many fish are actually getting harvested. Got yeah. And then what, what brought about this? Just like you said, the, the people not reporting and, you know, like you said, the funds weren't there. And so they had a tough time just, you know, wrapping their heads around how many fish were being harvested out of the lake. And then maybe if they, if they do have a, a, a decent amount of what's coming in, do they have a restocking program to help balance that out or where, what, what's the benefit of doing that, I guess? So the, just them being able to get that info from harvests, harvested fish gives them an idea of like growth rates, stuff like that. Ah, I gotcha. And then it also will give them, uh, info on whether or not they should continue stocking certain lakes. You know, some of our lakes throughout the state do have a stocking program. And if that angler effort's not there, they're not going to continue with it, you know. They, right. they would just change it to another lake or add fish to an opposite lake that, you know, maybe has more angling pressure. Okay. And are, are they stocking uh, up here in our area in the northwest part of Michigan? Nope, none at all. None at all. So it's all natural reproduction. Yep. Yep. That's why uh, catch and release is such a such a good thing for our area. And, wh- and what are some of the other lakes in the area that you know that are uh, that currently have musky stocking programs? If you have like two or three, you could just name off. Uh, I think, you know, Murray Lake down in Kent County, uh, there is some over towards Alpena. Uh, I can't remember the name of that lake off the top of my head, but, uh, we have a lot of lakes down on the Southwest side of the state. Um, like Mona Lake and Lake Makatawa, those are actually, you know, they're trying to repopulate those areas with fish that are down there kind of to bring it back to where it was years ago you know it's it's kind of a restoration program that they got going on and they've been they've been putting quite a few muskies in down there so i I would expect the west southwest side of the state to actually have you know a fishable population down there okay maybe not maybe not in the next couple years but maybe five and then, you know, I, w- I was messing around your guys' website, which is really, really nice, by the way. Um, anybody listening to this, I suggest going to www.michiganmuskyalliance.org. And you guys have a lot of great info on here, events, um, fundraisers. But I was looking at this elk chain tracking study. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that, about uh, what, what what's involved and what goes into that as well? Yeah, so uh, the tracking study, they, they came in in 2008 and they captured i think 20 26 fish and what they did was they set up in you know skigamog torch river clam clam river and they they went out and netted these fish and then they implanted them with these uh i think they're called a passive acoustic transmitter something 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 fancy like that so they implant these fish with those transmitters and then they have uh these little, uh, I don't know what they're called, but they pick up every time the fish goes by and they kind of tracked them throughout the lakes to see, you know, movement patterns, where they went from 
you know, their summer locations to their winter locations to their spawning locations. And they kind of uh, made this huge map, you know, so to speak, of where these fish are at at certain times of the year. And it's it was really cool, and it was nice for me because it was real informative um, to just look at that data that they had and you could kind of you could kind of get an idea where you should be fishing you know so it was it was pretty cool um out of that study what was the biggest thing that jumped off at you to be like oh my god i had no idea that they were doing this um you know or a time of the year where you're like i did not expect them to be there or passing by this area yeah it was it was all kind of, you know, known information, but seeing it on paper, it was like, oh, yeah, they are there, you know. Oh, okay. You you can go out here and not catch fish in 100 hours of fishing. But, you know, seeing that tracking study, you're like, yeah, well, they should be there. The tracking study says so. And, and the funny thing is, is there's a spot on Torch Lake that I drove to a couple years ago. I, I basically took up this map from the data that I had and there's a spot on there where they found this fish and I went over there and I caught a fish almost right on that mark. So huh. it's pretty crazy. Yeah, for sure. We should, we should probably touch on, you know, kind of the local, we have a few local regulation changes to the, you know, Northwest area. Oh so yeah. Hit them up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we're going to have a 50 inch minimum size limit to keep on the lower Antrim chain. So that would be from the Beller dam, all the way to the Elk Rapids Dam. So Bel Air, uh, Clam, Torch, Skigamog, Elk. Those will all be a 50-inch minimum size limit. And then uh, above what, what were the Bel Air Dam. What were they before? 42. 42, okay. Yeah, and this they, they did all these minimum size limit changes based off growth rates that they had from, you know, the data collected over the past, you know, I don't, I don't know how many years, probably up to 20, but... Uh, that's what they used to kind of set the standard and they've used it, you know, in a couple other lakes throughout the state, but mostly up in this area where, you know, we have this natural reproduction, we have low population of fish. So they're, they're kind of taking a, a, a more forward approach to protecting this fish and that 50 inch minimum size limit's going to be going to be huge, you know, going from 42 to 50, that's, that's a huge step because at 42 inches, uh, the fish in this area, the growth rates are so high that there's there's a huge probability that that fish has not even spawned once yet. You know, typically the size is probably around 46 inches for a female to spawn up in this area. So going to a 50, will it should give them at least three years of spawning capability before they're susceptible to harvest. So that that's another you know step in the right direction. You say 46 inches up in this area. Do they spawn earlier in other parts of the state or elsewhere? Um, yeah. Or, you okay. know, the the lower chain with the bigger lakes, they, they don't warm up as fast as they do spawn a little later. That's, that's another reason why that, you know, harvest day got pushed back to the first Saturday in June is to kind of give those fish a little protection from exploitation during those, you know, those times where they're most vulnerable. Now, out of the fish that you've caught, that jump from 42 inches to 50 inches, if you were to harvest them, would you say you're throwing a good amount of your fish back now with those new limits in this area? Or, 
I mean, typically, uh, you... go ahead. No, no. Um, there's definitely opportunity for 50-inch fish up, up on the lower chain for sure. Um, the upper chain is going to a 46-inch minimum size limit, and I think that's probably pretty close to where it should be. You know, I would like to see 50 inches on that as well. Um, there's just no data up there to really, really justify it at this point. But yeah, I mean, you could catch a 50 inch muskie in any body of the water from, you know, the Bel Air Dam all the way up to, what would that be, Scott's or Beals Lake, you know, that whole chain. There's, there's opportunity there. Just not a lot. Now, was your guys' organization, are you guys a part of these uh, meetings on regulations on upping the size limit with the DNR? Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. We, we have... Uh, we have uh, one guy on the Warm Water Resources Steering Committee. Um, his name's Will Schultz. He he's actually the founder of MMA, and that guy is he's something else. He's he's definitely made a reputation for himself, and he's worked very hard to improve the fishery throughout the state. So a lot of people could you know thank Will for his his efforts over the years. He's he's really taken a strong approach to it. Hey, shout out to Will, man. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Will. Well, good. So any other regulations in this area that you think uh, folks need to know about, or is that it? No, uh, no. you know, the 46-inch minimum size limit. Just if you're on the upper chain, you know, that would be Bel Air Dam to, uh, I guess, 6 Mile. I mean, there's Scots and Beals that are a little further, but those are not really accessible. But if you do get out on there, you know, it's got to be 46-inch minimum size limit, and we will actually be out putting new stickers on the signs. I don't know if you've ever seen a know the difference sign on a musky lake somewhere, but that's something that we provide all across the state. We'll have a big metal placard up at the boat launch. You know, it'll have pictures of different muskies. It'll have a picture of a pike. So, you know, the difference between the two and it'll tell you right on the sign what the minimum size is to keep one. Wow. And that's something that you guys pay for, huh? Yep. Yep, that's all funded through us, and you know we, we get a little bit of help through the uh, QC Becker Foundation, but yeah, um, all the manpower is done by us. And we have you know a hundred and something lakes throughout the state, and almost all of them have you know at least one of these signs up. You know, a lot of places have multiple locations where you can access the water. We go out there, we put these signs up, we maintain them, and now we got to go out and put these new stickers on that say that you can't keep them unless they're a little bit bigger now and i'm pretty excited about that yeah for sure is that in the regulations in the fishing fishing regulations that the dnr puts out okay so you guys are just kind of throwing stickers out there as well to make sure make it more visible yep yep we'll be out there putting the stickers on you know we've had them this whole time that say you know it's muscular size limit 42 inches well we're just going to cover up that 42 with a new sticker and it'll say either 50 or 46 depending on the body of water you guys are like a special ops group for the dnr yeah for sure like i said you know we're we're not really a club we're 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 out there trying to push this conservation agenda that we have you know it's something that you know every everybody in our club is very passionate about um i'm very passionate about it and you know, it's, it's, it's great. You know, we have a lot of great guys and we all get along and we all think the same thing. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm one that's uh, very appreciative of guys like you out there, um, you know, educating myself and my listeners 
on things like this. And, you know, I'm super grateful for, uh, you know, groups like you guys being out there and protecting our fishery and growing it. And like I said earlier, I hope it gets up to that level eventually of, you know, Wisconsin and Minnesota where more folks are, you know, get, getting that grip and grin of the, the fish and then successfully letting it go back in the water. And hopefully we see more of those, um, in the state of Michigan, uh, based yeah. off of your guys' efforts. For sure. I, I, I definitely think it's trending towards that. So, so let's get in a little bit about catching them. Um, like I said, I'm super green to catching muskie. Um, I have no idea real. I mean, I have a general idea. You always see on YouTube, these guys throwing these huge baits, you know, that cost 15, $20 a pop. Um, if someone wanted to get into muskie fishing, let's say up in this area, what's the best method to catch them, um, you know, this time of year or going into the opener June 1st or first Saturday in June? Um, you know, I don't really fish a whole lot during this period of the year, but um, when I do, I would say some kind of jerk bait and smaller, um, probably like a glide bait. You know, it's it's kind of has an erratic action to it, and that really seems to trigger fish. And you can work it in the areas that they're going to be at. You know, they're they're typically going to be in the areas that are shallower, have new weed growth, and uh, that water's going to be warmer. So those fish should be set up shallow and you can actually take those baits and just, you know, rip them right across there and they'll, they'll either follow in or they'll grab a hold of it if they're hungry. So, and obviously we got a pretty heavy duty rod, right? Heavy action. Yep. And then, yep. uh, what kind of line do we have on there tied to, I'm assuming some kind of resistant, uh, leader. Yeah. Yep. Tooth resistant leader. Um, I use 80 pound braid, uh, you could probably get away with less, but I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, that braid, you know, a lot of people use hundred pound and we, we don't need that much power in the line, but when you're casting, you know, let's say you got a muskie bait that would, that costs you $35 and you get a backlash with it. That, that sucker is gone. If you don't oh, have 80 yeah. pound, you know, so that's that's one of the big reasons we use such heavy line the other reason is to get the fish to the boat as quick as possible without worrying about you know hey i'm gonna break this off if i push too hard or something like that because the quicker you get them to the boat the the more chances you're gonna have a successful release you know you don't really want to tire those fish out and that guy that caught that huge record was fishing 80 pound braid for for bass nope he was using eight pound mono. Jesus. He yep. must have fought that thing forever. Yep. Yep. Well, I'm gonna try to find that article and link it in the show notes so folks can see that. Yeah, it's it's actually a pretty crazy story, you know. Do you it's, know a little uh, bit about it? Uh a little bit, you know. I, I I know exactly what happened. He was just out there, you know, trying to catch bass with suckers and this giant fish latched on and they fought it for I don't remember the time. I, I'm sure it was probably over an hour, but they finally got it to the boat. Um, couldn't get it in the net. Their net was too small. They broke a net, borrowed a net, broke that net. Then they tried to tie a life preserver on it or something. And I don't know. It was some crazy story. The article probably will have more detail than that. But kudos yeah. to those guys for you know at least landing that fish. Yeah, that thing's massive. Yeah, the odds are pretty stacked against you with that kind of equipment. Well, good. Well, hopefully uh, more folks sign up. Um, 
again, everyone can head over to michiganmuskyalliance.org. Uh, mess around on the website a little bit. I think you guys have a really good website and, uh, it's super easy and t- to join is super easy as well. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to join here and it's, uh, sometime this week. Awesome. Yeah. And if you, if you have any questions, you know, we, we also have a forum right on our website that you can pull up, uh, just go to the general discussion area. We'll have, uh, We'll have a spot on there. You can start a new thread, ask a question. There's a hundred plus guys that will answer. You know, whatever you want to know, we can help you out. Yeah, and you guys got some pretty uh, some dope merchandise as well. Yeah, for sure. Want to get me one of those MMA shirts? Yep. Yeah, come to our banquet. We got tons of stuff. Awesome. Well, Nick, man, thanks again for taking the time and uh, you know educating myself and the listeners and uh we're gonna we're gonna follow you guys along and hopefully we have you back on here in the future to update us on uh, your guys's progress yeah absolutely thanks for the opportunity lee all right buddy take care yep you too there you go everybody nick day from the michigan muskie alliance um you know it's groups like these uh who are the boots on the ground out there you know volunteering their time and making sure that future generations have uh, you know, a healthy musky population um, for uh, for their enjoyment and to fish for in our in our systems. So, uh, you know, big shout out to the Michigan Muskie Alliance, and uh, I hope they keep doing what they're doing. And uh, you know, just conservation in general. I think that uh, if there's something that you're passionate about, uh, you know, for Nick and their group, it's it's musky, uh, or whether that be whitetail, um, uh, you know, walleye, whatever it is. There's groups out there, and uh, with the internet these days, it's it's super easy to get involved with and um, to keep conservation alive and uh, healthy for uh, future generations. So, uh, I think it's our our jobs as uh, hunters and anglers uh, to do so, to get involved, to donate time, and um, to get out there and uh, preserve our wildlife. So, all right, everybody, I got more episodes coming up for you. Um, I appreciate you all. Follow me on Instagram, please, and uh, subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, uh, and or Google Play. Uh, You can head over to the website, too, at www.freshwaterbike.com. You can listen to the podcast that way and also see what other things we have going on over there. But uh, that's it for now. Uh, We'll see you guys back here real soon, and um, thanks for listening. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.